Thank you for downloading our podcast, Therapist Talking Therapy. My name is Martin Weaver. And I'm Nicholas Rose. Well, given that bullying is in the, in the news today, and given that it's um, also, or perhaps is it also tied up with another piece of um, news, which is this whole woke agenda about the, the Pogues fairy tale of New York song that the BBC is now going to, it's now going to air, but it's going to edit out the word faggot from the recording. Oh, I hadn't seen about that actually. Yeah, so it comes up, perhaps come up the last few years and people have said, you know, that the word faggot is, you know, negative towards gay men. Me as a gay man, I don't really care too much about it. But tie that together with the whole Pretty Patel report that hasn't been published today. The Prime Minister has decided to junk and to say, oh, it's all okay, actually. I'm wondering if there's a whole issue there about where is the line now being drawn? Where is one's one's freedom to speak one's mind, where does the line stop? Should she and people in her position be able to shout at their staff to get things done? Or should they not? It's um, use of of power and abuse of power, isn't it? That um, uh, shouting and screaming in some circumstances with some people may be completely fine. But if it's not fine for others, then uh, then it, it's uh, an abuse of power. And I suppose there's a question about whether, can, can it be argued that somebody is not able to see the impact they're having on another person and to, to act accordingly, to moderate their behavior accordingly, and even to apologize in the moment if they've made a mistake because they've approached somebody um, well, when they're upset. Well, let, me, let me add another layer to this because I think at some point soon in the next few minutes, we, I would like us at least to have some definition of what bullying is. Mm. Because I was reading a, something on LinkedIn, I think, about pronouns and how people are now adding to their signatures and emails the pronouns that they prefer to use and they want to be used. Yeah. And a part of me thought, so am I now responsible for your mental health? Are you, you personally, but are they, am I being told that unless I use these pronouns that people are now demanding I use, they're going to be upset and therefore they have to tell me that in advance rather than us discovering it together. And if I don't know them and don't use them, am I then guilty of bullying them? If they tell me and I don't use them, I think that's a different issue. But do we have to wear like like the military kind of medals or badges across us that alerts the world to all the things that we find uncomfortable and therefore please avoid this and avoid that or please call me this, call me that. I mean, when I was a student, proclaiming my sexuality was a kind of um, rebellious act. Yeah? What do you want to do about it? All right? Yeah. I'm a gay man. Get over it. Kind of thing, you know. I'm a bit older now. And if people say to me, oh, how's your wife, Martin? And I go, I have a husband. And they go, oh, what's his name? Then we're okay. But my husband actually talks of a discussion he had with a colleague who three or four times this other person asked about his wife 
despite the fact that three or four times he said, I have a husband. Mm. Is that bullying? Well, isn't bullying something which uh, reveals itself in that context? And in, in that... In well, your, your passionate, your passion and your excitement might be my bullying or vice versa. Yes, but the, the um, understanding between two people in, in that moment, the only people that can know if something is bullying it, it is something, it is the, are the people themselves um, and, and only through, um, I would say, through, yeah, looking at the, the, the situation. Uh, so where does that leave the ministerial code then? Well, and where does that you, leave anti-bullying policies? And have you looked at the the ministerial code? I'm just about to look it up. Uh, I looked at it um, yesterday. I was in, interested to see what it said. I just bet you can remember it offhand, can you? <laughs> well, it, it, uh, what uh, I read, it, it uh, didn't talk about bullying. It talked about appropriate behaviours, mm. but it also talked about how um, a minister uh, should justify their behaviours to government and to the public because they are public servants. Mm -hmm. But yeah, bullying per se was not uh, within the code, I don't think. Well, you say that, but in the introduction by Boris Johnson, the forward, the mission of this government is to deliver Brexit on the 31st of October for the purpose of uniting and re-energizing our whole United Kingdom. Uh -huh. To fulfill this mission uh, and win back the trust of the British people, we must uphold the very highest standards of propriety. Mm. And this code sets out how we must do so. There must be no bullying and no harassment, no leaking, no breach of collective responsibility. No misuse of taxpayer money and no actual or perceived conflicts of interest. So there you are. That's, um, but that's Boris Johnson talking about the Well, that's the preamble code. to the Ministerial Code, yeah. It's not, that's not wording taken from the Ministerial Code, is it? Well, this is a bit like, is the preamble to the American um, Constitution Mm. part of the constitution and apparently it's not so presentation of policy the seven principles of public life business appointment rules here we are selflessness integrity objectivity accountability openness honesty and leadership hmm. so what you're saying is you may have mentioned it but it isn't actually part of the code itself so, so this is about where is bullying defined? If, as you say, it depends on the people involved. Mm. That sounds, feels, sounds to me like a very slippery slope. Um, my understanding was that the, uh, the, the person who looked into it uh, concluded that behaviour uh, which could be understood under the terminology of bullying uh, had taken place, something like that. And yet again, it's about, is your passion my bullying kind of thing? 
Well, of course, what, what, what we're not hearing here it is from the people who made the complaints. Mm -hmm. uh, they are absent. <laughs> so the victims <laughs> are, are absent and, and they're also absent in, in all of the media attention uh, around this. Um, the, the whole attention is uh, about whether Priti Patel has and is a, a bully and has bullied um, and then whether she should be punished or not for it. Um, it, but it completely misses um, misses that uh, there are people that are supposedly reported bullying. And so people uh, means not one instant, but a, a pattern, uh, a pattern of uh, behavior. Ministers should be professional in all their dealings and treat those with whom they come into contact with consideration and respect. Mm. Working relationships, including with civil servants, ministerial and parliamentary colleagues and parliamentary staff, should be proper and appropriate. Harassing, bullying or other inappropriate or discriminating behaviour, wherever it takes place, is not consistent with the ministerial code and will not be tolerated. Oh, well then, you found it in the... Good. General Principle, paragraph 1.2. Good. And then, uh, yes, what is bullying? I, I found a definition here of um, seek to harm, intimidate or coerce. Mm. It's, it's sort of understood that it can be an event, but um, I think the Prime Minister is the ultimate a repetitive behaviour or repeated behaviour. The Prime Minister is the ultimate judge of the standards of behaviour expected of a minister and the appropriate consequences of a breach of those standards. Ministers only remain in office for so long as they retain the confidence of the Prime Minister. He is the ultimate judge of the standards of behaviour expected of a minister and the appropriate consequences of a breach of those standards. So basically bullying is what Boris Johnson says it is, or the Prime Minister says it is. Mm. That's, that's one possibility well it's one reality <laughs> it's <laughs> well, not just a possibility mr rose it no, is the other possibility the is uh because I, I don't think he's denied he hasn't denied the behavior but he said that no action will be taken so he hasn't yeah. come forward and said there was no bullying he's come forward and said i'm not going to take yeah, appropriate consequence yeah it's nothing so, so he, ha he hasn't said that um, there is no bullying. And so therefore, with my clients, especially those recovering from trauma, they have repeated instances where they have been coerced or harassed physically, emotionally, sexually, and there hasn't been a consequence to the perpetrator. And um, the... the uh, the, the yes what what comes up for me around this is that um when people have suffered at the hands of others that there is there is um a journey isn't there to some healing um but it's it's known <laughs> that it's important to in a healing perspective too 
see justice done <laughs> because if if a if a bully or an abuser or a perpetrator um, is not seen as such, then the uh, the journey to getting over an event or or, or uh, something like this is is much more complex because in a way you're you're being you're you're being uh, challenged as to whether you actually are uh, a victim of of this whatever it is and so with bullying so of course what a bully tends to do is to overpower someone so that they they end up uh, thinking or, or experiencing themselves or, or believing that they're less than the other person and unless someone comes along and says no this person is a bully then maybe that allows a, a doubt to remain there or allows something to remain there that oh actually if, if other people don't think that this person is a perpetrator or a bully then what what was my role in this then it was the bully correct and so um so yeah so if 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 there's bullying the bullies need to be held to account again there we come to, back to perhaps your po earlier point about repetition or pattern and, and intent mm. and how we expose that, express that, how we um, define that and, and, and who is it who says that is bullying and this isn't. Mm. And maybe because we come culturally from a point whereby people largely were allowed to get away with whatever they wanted in all these abuse cases, we've kind of flipped the other direction children must always be believed if the victim or the person says they're being bullied then they're being bullied well I'm, i mean i i think about uh, the thing i love about therapy <laughs> is that we have time and space available to really look at incidents to um yeah to to look at possibilities and, and to, to, to seek to clarify, to raise questions um, and to, to, yeah, to, to, to be able to hopefully reach maybe more questions which take us closer to something. And so, for example, if we're, in, if we're asked to mediate it in something, we're, we're able to really look at uh, what's happening for both sides and what they understand and what they see. And so ultimately, is there a misunderstanding or is there a role for both people in what's happened and can they see that? Yeah, hopefully some resolution. But uh, of course, uh, in the absence of that, what you hope is that um, guidelines, um, policies and awareness of these difficult behaviors um, are upheld when when they go to the institutions or to the structures that are there to to say well this this is the this is what it's supposed to be this this has been found not to happen and so this is the the consequence and i think thinking that a definition of bullying would talk about the absence of things the absence of respect the absence of acceptance because as you were talking there about being a mediator. One of the things I often say with my couples is they come to me and 
one partner will say X and the other one will go, oh, no, 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 no. And I'll say, okay, stop. So the first rule is that you accept what your partner says. You don't have to agree with it or like it or approve of it. But if you're unable to accept it, then further down the line, maybe that does get into bullying because you want them to take your position. Well, I, I disagree, depending on what's being said, of course. <laughs> if one partner is saying, well, you're useless, lousy, waste of space, you don't have any respect for anyone and you just don't care, and it's being screamed at a, a loud volume, um, then uh, is, it, uh, is there a communication or, or, or is there an attempt just to overpower? And so- is it, That is the communication. I think that when we, as you said, in therapy, because the dynamic then shifts, we then have the time to, to say, unless you accept where that comes from, from your partner, and recognize that's in that moment, that's their experience, then the dynamic is never gonna change. Also though, with the person who is um, uh, communicating, that their, their need to take responsibility for um, how, they're, how they're feeling and, uh, in the, and, and what they're looking to achieve. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I usually ask whether, I ask each, each side what they've understood and mm. then check out whether that was the intention. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just such a difference, isn't there, between um, kind of full-on arguments. And um, in, in the case of uh, Pretty Patel, it's been said that she would shout and scream. And so I would imagine that if the Home Secretary shouts and screams a civil servant then um, that, that could quite easily be seen as an abuse of power um, oh. but if there's a if there's um, uh, a uh, a couple and uh, they're both shouting and screaming <laughs> then that's one thing but so yeah I think it's so con contextual but with, with uh, where there is such a, a differential in roles um, Not so much in roles, although that's true, but I think in, as you write, in context, because I was watching The the Crown recently when Margaret Thatcher turns up at Balmoral and they've made all these rules for themselves and they expect other people to buy into the rules, but they don't tell them what the rules are. And the difficulty is, clearly, well, in the drama, however true that is, even Margaret Thatcher couldn't complain. So I think when Priti Patel or the minister is shouting, the civil servants are in a different position of power or lack of power. And there should have been somebody else who wasn't a civil servant and wasn't, I guess, or may have been a, an MP or whatever, to step in and say, that's not acceptable. Telling truth to power, you know? And so it's, in a couple, there may be, if one is dependent on the other, an inability or belief that there's an inability to to say no, to stand up to, quote unquote, the bully, or to call out the behaviour. Um, call, calling out truth to power. I mean, if, if, we, if we think about bullying in, in uh, like the school context, mm -hmm. often there's a bully who's surrounded by 
uh, others mm-hmm. who um, who probably are complicit and collude and, and remain silent either because they're pleased that they're not the focus of the bully's yeah. attention or yeah. because they, like the bully, struggle themselves with feelings of inadequacy or I- impotence which means that they they get something from seeing another person bullied and overwhelmed and um and of course i think one of the things that uh, has been highlighted in in politics uh, of late i'm not sure it's new though i'm sure it's not new is um is this thing about cronyism that people surround themselves with with people who well they, they build structures which yeah the echo uh, chamber yeah so truth being told to to power um, it's a nice idea <laughs> but in reality, well, interestingly enough don't always have that yeah Alex, alexander the great had an old friend of his who used to disagree with a lot and according to mary reno's telling of the story of alexander the great one of the reasons why he kept this guy around was to challenge him, was to keep him away from, if you like, that echo chamber where you're surrounded by these kind of acolytes or these people, these yes people, who simply agree with everything you say. That was the job also of the court jester, wasn't it, in medieval times, that uh, the court jester would point out these, these things and was kind of encouraged or paid to do so. And to be kicked. But, uh, <laughs> sorry? And to be kicked if Shakespeare is is, yes. is, is to be believed. Yes. But I, I suppose um, it brings up a question, doesn't it, as to whether, whether it's realistic, feasible, whether it's a kind of a fantasy to think that if somebody is put in a position of power, mm-hmm. that, um, that it's going to just cause a dynamic which is going to do something <laughs> so that even if there is someone that says oh i i always talk truth to to power they in themselves uh, their their purpose and their meaning becomes entrenched in doing that which means it's no longer a purely uh, a kind of a purely neutral endeavor <laughs> like the court jester. The court jester would have been reliant uh, on his position in order to, to get food on the table and to be able to maintain his position of court jester and would have wanted to hold on to that. And so would have probably have chosen at times what to say and what not to say. Uh, when to say it. Yeah. yeah. So when, whenever society creates these positions of power, which is something that we do seem to quite like doing. Hierarchies. Yeah. Hierarchies, yeah. Which in effect is, I always think of it as an attempt to avoid our responsibility for our entire existence. So democracy, mm-hmm. we think that we can, we can vote for somebody uh, and that they're going to go away and they're going to be perfect human beings and do everything. <laughs> Because the reality is we don't want to do that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So we're happy that other people sit on the committees, on the town council, on the on the regional council and as MPs. We don't want to do that stuff. But it does mean that in a way we're avoiding responsibility for part of how, how our lives work. But isn't bullying the, the frustration of 
a fixed idea or um, some kind of things not going right and, and a powerlessness of its own sort. Yeah, I, I, from working in organisations in the past, I've often seen it in sort of almost a cultural context. Mm -hmm. It will be different parts of organisations with different purposes that come up against each other because they're mm. coming at things from different angles. I remember working in a very large company where the sales director, she was uh, notorious for shouting and screaming at people and, and throwing things at people. And uh, this was a very, very senior director in a very large company. And uh, yeah, some people would go, oh, that's fine. I, I don't mind. And other people would, would, would come away completely traumatized by it. And so going back to your point initially, I suppose, about what is bullying, surely it, it must come down to uh, if someone is in a position of power, their ability to see their impact on others and take responsibility for their position. Yes, I have a, a position of responsibility outside of my, my therapeutic role where I'm responsible for four members of staff and I have a management team mm. kind of between me and them. So I have to be mindful when mm. I'm talking to the staff, not to give them instructions. <laughs> or not to suggest things that they may believe are instructions mm. and therefore go off and do something which not only runs counter to the strand, the strategy and the plan, but also the people who do manage them. Mm. Um, and you're right, I think it's about owning that power you know, as a white middle-class, middle-aged gay man. You know, I have certain privileges and certain uh, successes and certain power. And with my clients, of course, vulnerable, vulnerable can't see the word, vulnerable, <laughs> vulnerable people, mm. which is why we have the, the ethical code in therapy. As, ethical as code and also uh, mechanisms for our professional bodies to, to consider behaviours as well. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and um, with, with our professional bodies, uh, the, the, the purpose being to ensure that harm uh, is limited. Those, yeah, um, they have those structures to... Conduct. Rules, rules of conduct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's uh, partly to protect people and also to raise the issue that might not get raised otherwise. Yes, yeah. To, uh, and um, hopefully to be able to work through misunderstandings mm -hmm. because 95% of the time, um, neither party has set out to harm the other. Um, but uh, um, yeah, people usually train to be therapists because they want to help others and people go into therapy because they want to be helped. That's the, the majority of the time. And, and when things don't go uh, according to plan, it's, it's, yeah, it's because of a misunderstanding. So uh, the professional body can act as like a therapist in a way to, to the therapy. When I was being trained on risk, risk assessment, and what is risk and how does one engage in risk? And I think one of the uh, lecturers there said that uh, one of the 
most unsafe places to be is the family and the family home. Because once that front door gets shut, anything can happen. And there isn't an outside guardian other than knowledge of the law or maybe a religious group, or maybe when generations live together, other people, there's no balancing power force mm. for somebody who has ultimate power. I think of the kind of Victorian father. There was nobody to challenge him. He yeah. do what he liked. Yeah. You look at what happens in some childcare homes where there's no one to challenge the senior people. Your colleague or the person you mentioned earlier on about throwing things. No one to, to say, that's not acceptable. Yeah. Because well, organisations are like families, aren't they? That, well, um, yeah. Behind, yeah. The, behind the closed doors, there's kind of behaviours which seem to be um, kind of, there's a sort of sense of, oh, well, that's just what this family is, is like. That's the rules or the game. But actually, it's, um, it, it, it should not be occurring and if as you say that 95 percent of the time people don't set out to bully or be bullied then it's about well is it our education system that isn't teaching people flexibility and self-understanding so rather than just reacting to the physiology the tension the pressure the the heat people aren't trained from kindergarten from primary school mm to to recognize their physiolo physiological changes and to engage with them and nine times out of ten when i ask my clients to engage with their physiology that sensation that emotion quote unquote the negative one the, the painful one the stressful one once they engage with it it changes and it changes in a way that's more positive that's more relaxed more open more flexible and so bullying happens perhaps when stress occurs inescapable stress well yeah stress that um the person hasn't learned to deal with in a mm. in another way that um yeah. what a what a bully uh does is uh builds up a frustration i guess or other feelings uh, and then finds an object on on which to place those feelings and, and the reason why it's habitual and a pattern of behavior normally is because the, um, the dopamine that is released as a result of someone getting rid of difficult feelings will mean that it's a very powerful uh, mechanism that they found. Uh, and so almost an addictive possibility for it. You're avoiding using the C word. The C word? Mm, almost a climax. Oh, <laughs> well, yes, yeah. Mm. I think it is. I think we we have many experiences. Laughter is a kind of climax. Yeah. And anger, shouting, is that, as you say, that built-up sensation, that interpretation of frustration, I would call it. This feels uncomfortable, and it feels uncomfortable because you're not doing what I'm telling you to do or what I want you to do. Mm. I'm not getting what I want, and I know that because I'm getting this tension, this stress, this heat, this pressure, and literally pressure. And, and, it, and nothing lasts forever. Joy doesn't last forever. Mm, Happiness yeah. doesn't last forever. 
pain doesn't last forever. Frustration doesn't last forever, but maybe the bully pushes it to, to that climax because the constant buildup is perhaps too, too much. And so you lash out at whoever's around you. And potentially, whether it's, you know, Mrs. Patel or somebody else, it isn't the person in front of her who is deserving of that bullying behavior, but it may be something else in her life that is exacerbated by you know, the straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing. Well, it, it's it's about what we take into situations, I suppose, isn't it? Mm. Um, uh, the amount of pressure that we take on ourselves and carry into things. In, in childhood, um, young people struggling to deal with the expectations of them in among in their families or within the school environment um, may not uh, understand the oppression that, that's there mm. because it, it's very much external. But as adults, uh, if we're choosing to do something, but it's stressing us out, <laughs> then we really have to surely reconsider our choice of what what it is that we're doing and and why because uh yeah because that must be our responsibility surely and yet as you said the one thing you like about therapy is that we have the space to ask these questions and for that exploration to happen and unfortunately it's kind of been boxed up into therapy so rather than it happening day to day in the office, in the church, in the home, on the tube, in the street. It's almost as if when we go into those contexts, we cannot allow ourselves to be vulnerable or unsure or questioning because we don't trust those that are around us. And so these things accrete, they build up. There's a frustration at home. There's a, an anger on the tube. You get into work and you, you can't achieve what you are being told to achieve or want to achieve and all those things one on top of the other somebody then bangs into you or the computer breaks down or the photocopy wasn't working or whatever and it's just that's where the bullying occurs and no one says stop so that becomes as you said the pattern mm. this is what i do and then um, of course uh, we're all under an awful lot of pressure at, at the moment are we? Uh, with coronavirus are we are we with brexit are we it's a huge jump we're all under pressure you know as i keep saying to people i lived through the hiv crisis for me this is actually quite comfortable because i know it'll end i got my husband i can't see my mother we go out and i think there's a um a moving on perhaps <clears throat> this frustration a sense perhaps of entitlement that i should have two holidays a year and i should be able to go to the pub and i should be able to celebrate christmas you know as my 91 year old mother said we went through a war you know if um if those around us are under pressure though that's true then yeah. yes we can protect ourselves we can be aware of their pressure but it uh, it still means that there's there's a pressure there's a dynamic there. You're you're having surely you're having to make choices and decisions, um, which uh, 
means that you're focusing your attention elsewhere. So I guess my point around us all being under pressure is that we're all having to adapt and to change maybe at a greater speed than than we're used to. Yeah, so, I just I just wonder about these generalizations about all of us and we and the media are stoking that. And maybe that's causing some of the bullying that people because people hear that we all are under this pressure and we all can't do this and it's all getting terrible. And no one's saying, hang on a minute. You know, we've been through okay, not this before, but mm. other stresses and strains, and we've got through them, and we will get through this. So let's That's just quite the idea of, uh, chill out of it. Always speakers questions, really. In my mind, <laughs> it's questions, not, not absolutes. So the, the question being that um, when, uh, when things are so different in many ways, mm. how can it be that we're not under more pressure ne never before have i had to completely change the way in which i work overnight it's going to be exciting yeah but it's quite exciting it's exciting but yeah it, uh, it doesn't mean that it doesn't bring a a cost to it a pressure to it um, um we're, society we're not used to people saying right okay this is now different well as a society another huge generalization there are people within this society <laughs> who look at this and say this has been my life. I've got ME or I've got a disability or actually uh, because of the rampant racism and all the rest of it, not going out or going out and seeing very few people around is quite liberating. Maybe this releases the pressure from lots of people from not having to party out and produce and create the capitalistic whole hmm. society that we're supposed to. I think a lot of this pressure about We've got to get back to Christmas. A lot of it is about capitalism. A lot of it is about businesses. I'm supposed to give my money to all these other businesses so they can survive. And what happens to me? They're questions, not generalizations yeah. like mine, too, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're specifics. Yeah, it's about me. Yeah. But I wonder how many other me's, <clears throat> pardon me, there are around. People have different perspectives. Mm. I know some of my clients in trauma have loved lockdown. They can go out and there's nobody around. Fab. They can feel safe. And they say, you know, everyone's, everyone, generalization, lots of people are complaining about not going out and they're saying, well, welcome to my world. For me, what's unusual is that um, it's an, an, yeah, it's unusual for me to be living through something at the same time as my my clients so um you know it can be that somebody is coming to talk to me about a loss and mm -hmm. maybe i've had a loss myself in the not too distant past so there can be connection there but uh when i've had a loss i don't work I mean, so I don't work alongside but of course you know loss is always around but for, for me this this is um Yes, to be. Have to you be never been expressing. bullied? Sorry. Have you never been bullied? Oh yes, yes. Mm. I oh yes, I was bullied at school and bullied at work. Yeah. yeah. And um, in training to be a psychotherapist, it wasn't really surprising that uh, the work I really wanted to do, which I did for five years, was with torture survivors. 
Mm. Not that I was tortured, <laughs> although my bullying as a young person was systematic and over a period of years and at work also, but that was a sort of a smaller period of uh, experience. But of course, you know, if you've had one experience of bullying and then you have another experience of bullying, it brings up the past as well. So you think it's possible that somebody in our pasts might come forward and say, well, actually, I was bullied by you, Martin. I was bullied by you, Nicholas. Mm. Yes, yeah, of course, yeah, possible. Because I've been bullied in the past myself as well, and uh, both at, not so much at school, but certainly at work, mm. or in the field of work. Um, and then I wonder sometimes when I was part of the Terence Higgins Trust back in the early 80s, pushing projects forward. And what, you know, what you, one reflects, I reflect back and think, well, did I bully people then? Was I so caught up in the job that had to be done that perhaps that slipped into being bullied or me bullying other people? So we come back to this definition again of, you know, perhaps it's your definition of a pattern and, in, and an intent. So if the intent isn't there, if it's just frustration, is that bullying? I think there's also, um, there's severity as well as a pattern. So, uh, yeah, well, I suppose what I'm thinking about is, um, uh, yeah, it, hopefully we learn, don't we? <laughs> so that we catch ourselves if we if we see something, but also that we we're able to hear others as as well. Mm. And, um, and maybe so that. Some, something about a singularity about bullying, something about a a focus on the self and only the self. Hmm. Which, which comes from being really focused on wanting to get something done, I guess, mm. and seeing others as an obstruction to it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, I think it's when, when stuff isn't collaborative. Um, yeah. Mm. Yes. Hmm. And how to empower people. Especially well, those. you see, the problem is uh, how to empower people. Uh, I think there's a problem when it comes to systems. It, it's uh, depending on on the system, and and the danger is that systems become undermined uh, by the, the by well undermined by uh, lack of resources lack of rigor <laughs> um, mm -hmm. that, uh, that I mean so much has happened hasn't it over the, over the last 20 years to kind of mean that people understand bullying when I was a child I didn't I mean bullying I didn't I had no idea what it was I mean blimey if I if I if someone had said to me this is bullying if this had been covered in the school and I'd have said oh, well, that's bullying I, that's what it is okay I had no idea Whereas now there are organisations that do research on bullying and then there's uh, charities that campaign and teach 
and then there are anti-bullying guidelines that uh, there's so much more out there. So if someone is bullied, then at least they kind of have a sense as to what, what's going on. doesn't make it okay. I think part of that empowerment is, is as a therapist, pointing out to a client mm. that they've been bullied or they are being bullied. Are you saying that you've been bullied? <laughs> and someone's like, oh, what does that mean? <laughs> so, uh, so I might say, I might say that, that looks to me like, or seems to me like that person's bullying you. Or mm. I said to um, I said a couple of people actually, who haven't achieved their own goals. And I've said, well, when are you going to stop bullying yourself? Go, what, what, what do you mean? And yet when they look at their languaging and their own behavior and their own thought processes, mm. they are bullying themselves, putting themselves down all the time, depowering offer, themselves. Offered to them as a, a possibility and a question, of course. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Still shocking for them to hear, but actually quite useful because then it's about well, where did that come from? Where was that modelled? Usually in the home. Mm. I'm just smiling because I'm thinking about misunderstandings that um, uh, in our, well, in my enthusiasm to want to put something across quite firmly, that it mm -hmm. can come across as a statement as opposed to a possibility. And thinking about that in, in terms of therapy, that um, sometimes people uh, hear their therapist telling them something as opposed to hearing their therapist raise something as a possibility. Mm. And yes, I, I, I would imagine that it's very, very rarely the intention of the therapist to, to, to give somebody, um, because usually we, uh, we, 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 well, for me, I work on the basis that um, if someone is able to tell themselves something, then that's what's important. Not not that uh, that I tell them something. Um, for me, it's all yeah a possibility. Um, well, at least it's an what offering. they think that's matter, that matters, not what I think. Well, yeah, yeah, only hopefully from my perspective outside the system. Hmm. and my experience and my education and my focusing on, on these patterns, I can offer a useful skill, a useful piece of information, a useful perspective. Because that's what a bully does ultimately, isn't it? They, they don't care <coughs> what the other person thinks. It's no. kind of, I don't care what you think, this is what I think, and that's no. what matters. That, that is, in effect, so bullying. An imposition, hmm. a forcible imposition. Yeah. Can an imposition be not forced? I don't know. I don't know. Can um, can bullying be unintentional? Ooh. <laughs> can you be an unintentional <laughs> racist? Mm. Mm. Well, but mm. can you be an unintentional homophobe? <laughs> mm. Sexist. Mm. If you come from a culture whereby that kind of behaviour is uh, accepted promoted yeah. perhaps is it then bullying intentionality mm. so yeah back to sort of the, the criminal situation where self-defense is permissible mm. because it'll be a response um which is kind of automatic from the amygdala the fight flight and fright kind of um response but when it comes to uh, 
uh, hurting someone else, you know, where, where you have to go and actually find your victim. Mm. <laughs> how can you say that there isn't in, intentionality? Mm. Or how much of a choice does one have? In that moment, we're told where Mrs. Patel shouted at these um, civil servants, was that a deliberate act? Oh, I'll do it this way, and then they'll they'll do what I want them to do. Or is that what her what happens in her culture and her personal family? You just raise your voice until you get your own way. Mm. You know, Nicholas. All right, just do as I say. Get on with it. Yes, it's a flawed strategy, though, isn't it? But in the moment, it probably feels powerful. Mm. And that energy that comes, it feels like you're kind of creating something. And it's a bit like a, an orgasm, you know, there comes a point perhaps where you can't stop. And the climax <clears throat> has to be achieved, it has to be in the sense of that's the physiology. I'm feeling diverted away. <laughs> <laughs> well, the process, I think, is very similar to sexual climax, to argumentative climax. To... And there is a point, I think, where people will, you know, I saw red and they will say, I was so angry, I don't even know what I said. I was so threatened, I just lashed out. Mm. Yes, I'm still stuck firmly on bullying at the moment. <laughs> In what sense? <laughs> well, well, I, I think because um, uh, because uh, well, it will be because of my own uh, personal history that mm. uh, that uh, yeah. So no one came to you and either heard your voice or saw what was happening and said, you know what, Nicholas, that's not acceptable. So we have to do something about that for you. Mm to protect you and give you more awareness and skills and choices. And also for the bully, the perpetrator, to find out are they aware of their, the consequences of their behavior? Are they willing then to change? Oh, ultimately the, the, um, the kind of imposition of consequences when things are kind of proven to have happened it is really important though, because just as you mentioned, yeah. Yes, otherwise, um, it, with so much competing for time and consideration, as we're saying, like with, with therapy, that it's a time and a space which seems so valuable nowadays. Mm. But, uh, mm. if, if bullying isn't really considered to be such a big deal, then something else is going to uh, to 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 be focused on, people will put focus there, which leaves the uh, victims high and dry. I suppose I, I wonder about the potential that when it comes to violence and abuse and bullying, that uh, the, the, the move from victim to survivor is partly dependent on uh, an actual recognition that uh, this is something that um, is wrong and there should be some consideration for in my work with um, torture survivors, uh, international human rights law, it, it contains provisions there for uh, people that have been tortured uh, to get treatment, but also to get compensation through the courts. Um, and that's yeah. a very important part of 
people being able to move on yeah validation that what happened to you was not acceptable and here's yeah. the evidence that society says it's not acceptable yeah society the system uh and yeah and so in government as well that we, we need to see our government saying this is wrong and must there are consequences to it but apparently we're not unless of course mr johnson himself is being bullied and um, well back to the, the the pressure in the systems mm -hmm. uh, and um and and i know you said it was a generalization but my my thought of just how much pressure there is uh, around in i mean in government i would imagine that mm -hmm. there's so much that people are trying to do well that comes down to the whole bullying thing and that comment you just made highlights through the concept of polarization mm. because in a sense in in bullying victim there's a polarization and there's a retreat and there's a restriction of flexibility when people are flexible and collaborative they find different ways to achieve joint goals but under stress and in polarization the flexibility gets less and less and less as mr johnson will find out and it'll either break him or he'll fight back well i think about um what we we endeavor to do as therapists what i endeavor to do is, is to, to ensure that we uh, take on what we're capable of that there's almost an ethical requirement for us to to um to, to think about our competence in a in a particular area so so to be to listen to our intuition if if we think oh i'm not certain i know what to do with this that, that we pay attention to that not that we go on regardless i seem to have stumbled into a different conversation um, i lost the thread or that i didn't catch the thread of where that came from oh well i was <laughs> i suppose what i was saying was that um we have a responsibility to ourselves don't we to um to to to, to make sure that we uh take on things that we are comfortable with taking on that we look after ourselves that we don't put ourselves in positions where we we, we uh, can't cope uh, you mean where we become polarized yes and yeah. stuck yeah polarized and stuck yeah but the, 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 we took we had a, a a previous podcast on boundaries and it's about how willing are we to push the boundary to work at the the edges of our competencies in order to expand them in a way that's flexible and comfortable so that we don't perhaps bully ourselves into thinking well i can't do that i shouldn't do that i mustn't do that i'm terrible at doing that i'll never be able to do that that may of course have come from an external experience mm. and so maybe we are in danger also we we ride that liminal space between experience and confidence um, between what we, we know we're safe with and the risks. I often say to my supervisees that our clients take a huge risk in coming to see us. What risks are we willing to take? And maybe in that space, recognizing the intentionality and the patterns of power, 
that we express to our clients ways of being passionate without being a bully. I like to think though that um, I also take a, a risk mm. uh, that um, that uh, yeah because if something if something doesn't work then that's that's going to be hard for, for mm. me. So I I yeah I always think that it's a big commitment for both of us. But give me your comment, just when I talked about polarisation and then you went on to talk about working within our, our competencies, I guess my slight fear was perhaps that we might not want to push that boundary and rather than behave like a bully and be right, we're quite happy to take that risk, to hear what the client says and then be flexible and moderate our own response and model the opposite of being a bully which is a collaborative working, a workspace, a relationship. Uh, and um, the ground needs to be okay for us, doesn't, doesn't it? It comes back to, for me, it comes back to self-care um, and good support uh, hmm. and... Um, Everything perhaps that the person doesn't have that causes that polarisation that leads them into either being a bully or exhibiting bullying behaviour. Hmm. which is like on a knife edge almost. Whereas as you're pointing out, we, we look after ourselves and we have that sense of awareness and that willingness to open the questions and to look at the wider field. To the extent which is possible at the moment, thinking in 20 years time, um, commentators will be talking about the uh, systems of oppression that we were only slightly aware of um, and uh, and the ethical problems with the, the way that our society works at the moment, and the, the mass abuses, and, um, mm. and and the frustrations and the pressures that meant that uh, I don't know, maybe three quarters of the cancers are, are preventable because of they, they come from stress. I, I don't I I don't know, but I'm just looking at kind of how. Mm. Our previous decades are being judged. Um, yes, look back in the 50s and, and, and the 40s and the restrictions on people, not necessarily legal restrictions, but cultural restrictions. Hmm. As a woman, I'm not able to do this. As a gay man, I'm not able to even state that. Hmm. As a transgender person, nobody else exists but me, so I mustn't say anything about it. We had our podcast on you know, Black Lives Matter and how that affects our practice and our culture and how that's changed and is changing. So yeah, we're going to be sitting here in 20 years time, are we saying, do you remember Nicholas back in 2020? What were we thinking about? What were we <laughs> well, You said you wouldn't want, you, you said you didn't, you didn't want to go back to our, our first podcast anymore and listen to that. Yes. Well, I, I can't. Oh, I can never remember. But there's um, something in the four quartets, uh, Yeats, uh, Yeats, that talks about um, uh, the 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 effort to express something, and then once it's expressed, we start all over again, and uh, that that always resonates so strongly to me. The kind of an attempt to get somewhere, 
probably a bit like your your comments about climax you know we really kind of really want to get there and then we get there and then it kind of oh now we have to start all over again it's it's uh, yeah. and so yeah all our conversations today if, if we look back uh, on them even tomorrow <laughs> oh no <laughs> what was that but, uh, all we can do is try isn't it try and do our best and yeah. And I think that's what you said in the beginning of this conversation about the therapeutic space, having that space to think about the polarization and the flexibility, to think about the, uh, the physiology and the thinking about what happens so that in our own behavior, we can attempt to be as, as healthy as possible and maybe feel confident to call out others' behavior in a way that isn't buying into that kind of bullying relationship. Mm. Yes, because calling out has such a negative connotation nowadays, in, in a way. So many words have so much kind of judgment attached to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yes, yeah, so that's, that's, that's always really difficult. <laughs> yeah. Mm, interesting. So we'll see what happens going forwards, what this event in the government, what effect it has on the wider culture. Well, it's, I guess it's playing out at the moment. Well, that's it? right, yeah. We're in the middle but of it. There's so much we don't, we don't know. So I would really like to hear, but only if they want to say, <laughs> from, from the people who were bullied. I mean, I guess, I guess they, they came forward. Um, but I, I, yes, I, just, I, I wonder and worry, I suppose, about them and how they're doing whilst all mm. of this other stuff is going on. Yeah. And we can but hope they're getting the help that they need. Yes, hopefully the, uh, the, there's the support there for them, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for downloading our podcast, Therapist Talking Therapy. We look forward to your company again in the next podcast.